turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're finally making our way to the end of these uh, epistles written to this young church in Thessalonica. And we've talked about a lot of things, haven't we? We've talked about the Antichrist. We've talked about the second coming of Christ. We've talked about the rapture. We've seen a lot. And um, we're zeroing in on concluding this. And you can be in prayer as to where we're going to go next. I have a couple different books that we're probably going to look at, but um, to go through in the Bible, I just need to know which one. So pray for me as we decide this. And, uh, but this morning, we're, as we continue this, and we're really coming to the conclusion of this book, Second Thessalonians, um, a lot of people who write commentaries, I found out this last week, as you get down toward the end of this chapter, uh, beginning in verse 6, they have a, a lot of problems like, why does Paul start talking about this subject? I mean, we talked about the coming of Christ, we talked about the Antichrist, the rapture, all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, um, he, start, he just kind of, it seems randomly almost, changes his subject. And for a lot of commentators, they say, well, it just doesn't fit in here. But I beg to differ. I think it does fit. I think it fits perfectly. It has to because it's God's word, right? So um, I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word, and we're going to read verses 6 through 18. You can just follow along in your Bibles. And today you're looking at the outline going, how's he ever going to get through this? We're not. We're only going to introduce this today because we had too much going on in the service, so we're going to have a shorter message today, obviously. But uh, as we begin to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, Paul writes, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. Here's the command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. (laughs) Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers... And this is really the key to this whole passage. He says, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And then his final comments here, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Father, we pray this morning and we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for your spirit. We ask that your spirit would open our hearts to this passage, even as we just introduce it here this morning, as we close this wonderful study in 2 Thessalonians in the coming weeks here. But help us understand that this text fits. It fits in the context. And Lord, we we pray and, and, and we pray that we would understand what Paul is admonishing the church here and how it can be applied to our own lives. So we thank you what you're going to do through the power of the Holy Spirit in your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Do not grow weary in well-doing is what we're titling the message, but it really, do not grow weary in doing good. This is what Paul tells them. Uh, We're going to jump around a little bit in your Bibles, so like a sword drill, you can turn over to Galatians, (laughs) Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and look at what Paul says here, same author, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. We want to understand what this means when he says, do not grow weary in doing good. Apparently in this church of Thessalonica, the, the believers, some of them were giving up. They were, you could say, discouraged in their faith, in their walk. The Lord did not come. And someone floated a letter around saying that it was from the Apostle Paul, which it wasn't. But someone floated around a letter saying, oh, you know what? You know that thing that Paul said, the Lord's coming back? Well, you missed it, and now you're in the day of the Lord. (laughs) And so they were kind of freaking out. I mean, if somebody told me I was in the day of the Lord, I would be freaking out too. Um, And so they they didn't know how to handle this, and some of them were just giving up. They were discouraged. Remember, they were under severe persecution, a young church, probably months old in the Lord, and Some of them were thinking, you know what, why don't we just sell all our stuff and go up on the mountain and wait and see what happens, wait for the Lord. Um, That's what was happening. Why don't we just wait, do nothing? What's the purpose? And there's still people today, by the way, in the world today that believe that very thing. There's a lot of people that are banking everything they have on the Lord coming back in their lifetime only to be disappointed when he doesn't. (laughs) We don't know when the Lord will return. It's sooner than it was yesterday, I can tell you that much, and you better be ready for the Lord's return by getting right with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, coming to Christ as your Lord and Savior. But what does he mean when he says, do not grow weary in doing good? Well, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, look at this verse. He repeats it almost. He says in verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Almost the same words. For in due season we will reap if we um, do not give up. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, same author. He writes there in verse 1 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore, having this ministry, speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and, and he says, by the, ministry, the mercy of God, he says this, We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And he repeats it a little further down in that text of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, verses 16 to 18. He says, So we do not lose heart. He repeats himself. Though the outer self is wasting away. Amen. Amen. Your body's not getting better. (laughs) It's getting worse. Are you feeling it? I am. I feel it every day. 
I was just talking with Dr. Anthony the other day about yesterday about vitamins and different supplements we can take. And, you know, we got to do what we can. But at the same time, we're all going to die on time. So, you know, we don't want to idolize our bodies, but we have to understand that God has entrusted us with their care. And so we, we need to take care of them the best we can. But it's going to be wasting away. And he says our inner self... Verse 16 is being renewed day by day. And then he says this in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4. For this light momentary affliction. Are you feeling the affliction nowadays? I am. I know you are. Of this world and everything around us. Is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Look at what he says. Beyond all what? Comprehension. In other words, you can't even understand what the Lord has in store for you. And he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Um, My brother Ken took me on, I think it was Friday, with him to work. And I thought, well, this passage kind of deals with work, so this is kind of neat. Maybe I'll get an illustration out of this. But he picked me up and we went down to what he does every day, usually six, five, six days a week. Visited the buildings and the different homes that he uh, cleans. And um, some of these homes are new construction homes, brand new homes. The people aren't even in the homes yet. They're still under construction. But, you know, honestly, I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen... I mean, we're talking $20, $30 million homes. Amazing. The craftsmanship. The expertise. Everything is just, you can say, perfect. And at the end of the day, around noon, we, he bought me lunch, too. I'm a gracious guy. Came back here, we got a sandwich, and we, came, and we were talking. And, and I said, well, thank you, now that I'm thoroughly depressed. <laughs> I'll go back to my little home. <laughs> you know... And then I started thinking, wait a minute. That's not the attitude to have. And at one point he goes, yeah, I I couldn't live in a big house like that anyway. I said, oh, I could. I I could definitely live in a place like that with a pool. And oh, yeah, I can see myself, you know. But you know what? It's not going to last. It's not going to last. That is not what our focus should be on. And that's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians. He's saying these things are transient. Transient. Um, And I started asking myself, why do believers give up? Why does Paul have to continually hound them? Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. I mean, you think about it. We have a gracious God who saved us. Forgiven all of our sin. Given us the word of God. Given us the church. Given us the very Holy Spirit that resides within us to do everything that he's commanded us to do. We're thoroughly equipped in Christ. We lack nothing in Christ. And yet we're losing heart? Over what? Why? I think a couple reasons. First of all, because we get our eyes off what's coming. We get our eyes off what's down the, down the road. And we get fixated on all the stuff of this world. And it distracts us from the truth. It distracts us from the wonderful hope 
the wonderful blessing, the wonderful promise that we have in Christ as his children. Do you know everything on this earth is going to be gone? Everything. Your new house, your new car, your new shoes, everything. You're not going to take it with you. And we get distracted with that stuff because we get our eyes off of what is coming. Sometimes we can have an attitude of just losing heart, giving up. But I think secondly, a lot of times it's because we can't take it anymore. We can't take the hassle. We can't take the problems. We can't take the pain and the the struggle that this life dishes out day after day after day. That's why Paul says in that text, this light momentary affliction. It's light and it's momentary. It's preparing us. God has a purpose in it for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension and comparison. Does this apply to the church of Thessalonica? Does it apply to these young believers? You bet it does. It definitely applies. It definitely fits in the context of this book. What were they doing? They were going through, as we learned before, great persecution. They were going through great affliction as young believers. And Paul said, you know what? We went through all that. I've been there, done that. Don't give up. Do not give up. Don't quit. Don't be weary in well-doing. Well, some of them in the church, well, what about our loved ones who died? Do they miss the Lord's coming? I mean, they had, they had questions of all of that. All the promises of God will come true. Paul is saying, don't quit, don't give up, don't faint. So it does have something to do with the Thessalonian church. But does it have anything to do with us? Can we apply what Paul is saying here in these verses that we've read? I think absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, it's easy to give up. It's easy to quit. It's easy to get tired and and discouraged and, and even at times defeated in your Christian walk. I mean, I meet believers all the time and go there myself sometimes who are completely distraught over what's happening in the world and specifically in our own country. I'd say great country, but I have a hard time saying that anymore. And you look at what people are getting away with. That's where we go. I can't believe they're getting away with it. I hear that all the time. I always want to say, excuse me. They're not getting away with anything. Don't believe that lie. Remember what Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not, what? Give up. We have no reason to give up. I could see if we read the end of the book and we lose, right? Then we, what's the use? It's like going to a ball game and the the other team's way ahead, you know. And it's like, yeah, you want to leave? Yeah, sure, we'll leave. I remember one time somebody gave me some tickets to a, I think it was a a 49er game. I took my daughter and we got, we were on the field. I think it was a a Coke 
um, promotion thing, and we were actually on the playing field. That's where our seats were, in the end zone. Like, you know, the, 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 the field goal was right there. It was amazing. And we're behind this fence thing. We're sitting there and eating hot dogs and drinking Pepsi or Coke or whatever it was. And we're watching the game and stuff. And I remember, you know, it was kind of a close game. But 49ers weren't doing that good. And I think it was the third quarter. I'm thinking traffic and all this stuff. And I turned to my daughter and I said, hey, you know, do you think maybe we should go? Because the traffic's going to be horrible getting out of here. And they're going to lose. And I don't care. Sure, if you want to go. Okay, we'll leave. So we left. And we're driving down 101. And I remember listening <laughs> to the game. And that's... 49ers came back. Catch was made right there where we would have been. I forget who gave me the tickets to the game, but I remember them asking me, hey, did you enjoy? oh yeah, I really enjoyed the game. It was incredible, you know. And Christopher goes, it would have been better if we would have waited till the end. And the person goes, what do you mean? I go, oh, I'm never getting tickets again. <laughs> you left. I just didn't think they could pull it off, Right? We don't need to feel that way about our Christian walk. There's no reason for us to be discouraged. There's no reason that we should give up or no reason to quit. We keep on keeping on. Some people say, well, we just take our Bibles and go up on top of the mountain and, and read Scripture and study our navels and wait for His return. No. No, Jesus says to what? In, 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 John, or in Luke 19, 13, Jesus said, occupy what? Till I come. That doesn't sound like a passive sitting on your rear end somewhere with your Bible just doing nothing. When you're occupying a place, you're, you're active. Or in John chapter 9, verse 4, he says, Work for the night is coming when no man can work. God doesn't want us just to give up and shut down. Some of you are saying, well, you know what? I'm, I'm old now. I, I did my dues. I'm retired. My answer is, so what? I know of believers that are busier now that they're retired because they're serving the Lord than they ever were when they had a full-time job. That's really what we're called to. I mean, you may do it a little slower. And you may need a little more help. But you don't quit. You just don't quit. You keep going as long as you're breathing. I remember our brother Ivor used to tell me when I first came to this church, I was burning candles at both ends, and Pastor, you're going to burn yourself out. I said, I don't really care. I really don't. I mean, what, what else am I going to do? You don't quit. You don't faint. We don't give up because everything that God said is going to happen, beloved. Guess what? It's going to happen. And it's going to happen the way the Word of God says. We have a hope beyond the grave. Amen? And we have to thank God that we have a hope beyond this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, Paul said this, speaking of the resurrection, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, he says, we are of all people most to be pitied. Your Christian life is not just about this world and our time here. That's just scratching the surface. 
And so you see this last part of, of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's really, it's really connected powerfully to what Paul is trying to communicate to them. To be ready for his return, for Christ's return. It's, it's very practical. It's a practical application. And if you really believe that the Lord is coming, if you really believe that all of his promises will come true, then guess what? You're not going to be panicking over the stock market or panicking over this or panicking over that. You're not going to be getting upset at the political upheaval we see in front of us. Why? Because our Lord and Savior told us, be not troubled. Be not troubled. Those things are no concern to you. We keep on keeping on until that blessed day when he returns, when he calls us home. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to faint. The Bible tells us, hey, you better watch out because in the end times, there's going to be a lot more and more people mocking the truth that the Lord is returning. They mock that. The Lord's coming back. You better get it right. Oh, yeah, right. You've been saying that for years, Pastor. And they mock you. Where is the promise of his coming, they question, right? Everything will continue just as it is. Remember last time when they said that? <laughs> Didn't pan out too well for the people when God sent a flood. It won't be that in the future either. Because he's going to interrupt all the natural processes. And he is going to bring disaster to this world. And he is going to set up his kingdom here on earth. And Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good in the meantime. This last week I read that over and over and over again. Because you know what? I'll be real honest with you. Sometimes being a pastor in the Bay Area, in a very dark area of the country, in a conservative Bible church, is discouraging. But you know what? That's, this is where God has us. He has us here for a, a purpose. We're not in the Bible belt. You know, uh, there, there's a very clear line of demarcation between our church and other churches, even in our area. And we need to remember, hey, this is what God has for us. So why not use it to our advantage? Why not take up opportunities like Dan has to go out and evangelize people who desperately need to hear the word of God? When he's down in Redwood City on Friday nights once a month, you don't have to get up in a box and preach. You can just stand there and hand out a track as people walk by. But you know what? It makes a statement to people. Just your willingness to be there. It makes a statement that, wow, what, what is this person doing? Oh, they give me a piece of literature. You know what? What they do with that piece of literature, who knows? You don't know what hand that's going to end up in. You don't know how God is going to use that in somebody's life. I mean, that's why when you go in the lobby, you see tracks everywhere. You go in the fellowship hall, you see tracks everywhere. They're free. Take them. Distribute them. That's what they're there for. Never tire of doing what is right. Do you ever get tired? Come on, be honest. Yeah. We all get tired, right? I mean, probably right now somebody would say, I want you to shut up so we don't need to go get something to eat in a fellowship hall and then go home and take a nap, right? You're that tired. Well, let me tell you. You know, it's true. Um, you can get tired in the work of the Lord. You really can. 
You can get tired in the work of the Lord. But there's a big, big difference. Big difference between being tired in the work of the Lord and being tired of the work of the Lord. Big difference. Much rather be tired in the work of the Lord. Um, What's your perspective on work? Have you ever thought about that? This is what Paul is talking about here in the text. Some of you may think, well, you know, yeah, I got to work, uh, do the same thing every day. And it's drudgery. It's drudgery. I hate my job. Maybe you need to change your perspective. Maybe you're just a housewife and you do work in the house and you think, ah, who am I? You know, this is boring, doing laundry every day, cleaning up dirty diapers and vomit from little children. Kai and Mariana, that's what you have to look forward to. Just saying. By the way, pray for them. They just moved into a new apartment right down the street from their old one. So they got a little larger apartment. Thank you for uh, all the people that came out and helped him yesterday. Uh, Yes, I'm sure you're very welcome for that. But we want to continue to pray for them. But, you know, when we come to work, you can look at it as a drudgery or you can look at it as, as something that the Lord has blessed you with in a way that you know, you, you might not otherwise think of it as. Um, there's a lot of ways you can look at work, but I think it's important to look at it is the way that you serve the Lord. That's what your job should be. Now, I, I don't believe the adage that, well, there's the, the secular work and then there's the sacred work. You know, there's those that work in the secular marketplace and then there's those that work in the church marketplace or whatever. No. God doesn't make that distinction in his word anywhere. Um, He says, you know what? When you do something, you do it for the Lord. And sometimes, you know, when we want to serve people, we look at that work. God uses our different gifts and our different talents. But what does the, the Bible say about work? Well, like any other aspect of life, if you have a wrong perspective of work, it's not going to be encouraging. And just a couple verses, and I got these out of, uh, I think it was MacArthur's commentary, but he, he went through Ecclesiastes, and Solomon was asking these questions. And this is a view of work apart from what, what God would view work as. Okay, this is just yourself looking at your job. Here's what Ecclesiastes 1.3 says. What advantage does man have in all the work which he does under the sun? What's the use? Verse 2.22 for what does a man get in all of his labor and his striving with which he labors under the sun? These are rhetorical questions, by the way. Verse three or nine of chapter three. What profit is there to the worker from which, from that which in which he toils? Ecclesiastes five sixteen. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? I mean, you get the perspective. It's like, why are we working? Why do any work? That's seeing it really from a, a human perspective. And Solomon even calls it futile. He says in verse 11 of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil that I expended in doing it. And he says, behold, all is vanity, striving after the wind, and there's nothing to be gained under the sun. You're saying, Pastor, you're not encouraging me here. 
See, it's only when work is viewed from God's perspective, the way God designed work, that it has value. Because Solomon points this out in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. He says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. What? The toil, the work. Or chapter 3, verse 13. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. When's the last time you went to work and said, Lord, thank you for this wonderful gift. Just depends on what your job is. But Chapter 5, verse 19 Solomon says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Does your work bring you joy? See, the Christian faith does not accept the... The, the, the work ethic that, oh, you know, oh, you have a secular job. No, you don't. No, you don't. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul says this, whether you what? Eat, <laughs> whether you drink. Well, he doesn't mention work. Yes, he does. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. You do for the glory of God. And so having a biblical view of work is important. Well, just a couple things here as we close up. First of all, God exalted work by commanding it. Do you know that? A lot of people, I had one Christian one time said, yeah, I just wish I lived before the fall because then there'd be no work. I said, oh yeah, they worked. Are you kidding me? They were there to tend the garden. It's often ignored that that, that fourth commandment, the commandment a lot of people like to quote what, keep the Sabbath, right? Keep the Sabbath. Well, that command in and of itself insinuates that you're working. If you're setting one day apart from work, it's basically saying, well, you're working the other six or five or whatever it may be. And so God's command for, for rest is really under the assumption that we're working. So God exalted work by commanding it. Secondly, God himself sets an example of work for all of us to follow. And there's a lot of verses, I'm not even going to go through them, but if you think about it, God works, the Father works in creation, preservation, uh, providence, judgment, redemption. The Lord Jesus Christ works. The other member of the Trinity, by redeeming people, by building his church, by interceding for his people, preparing a place in heaven for them. Even the Holy Spirit is involved in working by convicting sinners, regenerating them, indwelling them. The whole Godhead works. Why? Because God wanted to give us a picture of work. But work is also a feature of the creation mandate. And it's a normal part of our, our existence. You know, the idea that you don't work is not, it's abnormal. It's abnormal. It's not normal. Psalm 104, 14 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants. And then he says this, for man to cultivate. 
that he may bring forth food from the earth. Do you think God could have just given us stuff? Like you just wake up every morning and there's a bowl of cherries sitting on your table or a bowl of fruit or whatever you wanted? Yeah. But no, he said, no, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to work for it. In verse 23 of Psalm 104, he says, man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Do you understand that work is not a result of the curse? It was commanded by God that Adam work in the garden before the fall. The fall did not initiate work, but it cursed it. It it made it something that's unenjoyable. It made it laborious and painful and, and toilsome. So God exalted work by commanding it. He himself set an example for all of us to follow. It's a feature of the creation mandate. And the fourth thing here is work is a gift from God. Think of that. Work is a gift from God. It provides development of our skills. It prevents idleness. You've heard the phrase, right? Idle hands are what? The devil's workshop, right? That's not biblical, by the way, but it's, I mean, it's not Bible. <laughs> I would say it's biblical in its context, but God also gave us work as a means of, of demonstrating the image of God on him. providing for the needs of all those under his care. He says, you're going to have to work and do the same. You're going to have to provide for the needs of all those under your care. It also grants the satisfaction of serving other people. Sometimes when we want to be of service to other people, you know, it doesn't just happen when we're at home laying on the couch. You know, gee, I really should go help so-and-so, but yeah, that'd be a nice thought. You know, no, you've got to get up and do it. You've got to do work to serve other people. It takes work to serve other people. It also affirms, work affirms all, um, all work can be elevated above the mundane by being done for the Lord himself. In other words, it's not just something that you have to do. You should look at your job, you should look at your work as something that God has given to you as a gift. He wants you to fulfill his command to work. In Ephesians, Paul says in verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 5, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Ask yourself your question, the question, the next time you go to work, why are you going to work? Are you going to work just to get a check? Are you going to work just because it makes you feel better? Are you going to work onto the Lord? Because it makes a difference. I've worked with people that, that work as man pleasers. And as soon as the head man's gone, as soon as the boss is gone, guess what? They ain't working. Always oh, frustrated me. They're just there for show almost. And so some of these Thessalonian believers were not living, Paul says, consistently with the biblical view of work. They were causing issues in the church because they were refusing to work. Flat out, they were just saying, no, I'm not going to work. Some of it may have been cultural influence back then. Guess what? The normal person every day did not work. 
like in the Greek and Roman culture, who did the work? They're slaves. They just, you know, that's why they had all these weird games to entertain themselves with. Some of them pretty violent. They, they had to find something to do. Because they employed slaves to do all of their work. And so it was a kind of a cultural thing. But even in the Jewish culture, one rabbi said this in a prayer. He says, I thank thee, O Lord my God, that thou hast given me my lot with those who sit in the house of learning. And not with those who sit at the street corners. For I am early to work, and they are early to work. I am early to work on the truths of the Torah, the word of God. And they are eager to work on things of no moment. I weary myself and they weary themselves. I weary myself and profit thereby. And they weary themselves to no profit. I run and they run, he says. I run towards the life of the age to come. And they run towards the pit of destruction. What was this rabbi saying? I'm above those peons that have to actually sweat every day and work. I just sit here and study the word of God. That's a wrong view of work. A lot of the the Greeks and the Romans, they, they viewed manual labor as beneath themselves. That was something the lower class of slaves would do. And it really crept its way into the church that view. And that's why it's here in Thessalonians. This is what they were dealing with. Some of these people culturally thought, hey, I'm here in the church and Paul's commanded us to care for one another, so why should I go to work? They'll feed me. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how it works. Eusebius wrote this in the early church. He said, two ways of life were Thus given by the law of Christ to his church, the one is above nature and beyond common human living, holy and permanently separate from the common customary life of mankind. It devotes itself to the service of God alone. Sounds so holy, doesn't it? Such then is the perfect form of the Christian life. See, that's where the whole religious theme of monks and priests and well these guys just this is all they do they lock themselves in a room with with the 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 word of god and they just study it all day long and they don't have any contact with anybody they're cloistered away oh how holy are they and paul's saying no no you can be a pastor you can be a priest or you can be somebody who washes dishes at a restaurant god doesn't look at those people differently We believe he does, but he doesn't. As a matter of fact, if I'm up here preaching a message and it looks religious and it looks pious, but I'm doing it with wrong motives, God's not going to accept that service. But you could be in the back door of a restaurant washing dishes for the glory of God. And you're going to earn a lot more reward than than the pastor who's preaching a sermon with the wrong motives. So we have to be sure that we understand work is something that God wants us involved in. Now, there are those who cannot work, right, physically. There are those who are widows, things like that, that need to be cared for by the church. We know that because Scripture commands us to do that. But whether it was culture or whether it was a religious thing or maybe they just thought Christ could come back at any moment, so hey, why do anything? 
You know, we're just going to sit around and wait. Or the last resort, resort was they're just lazy people. There are lazy people in this world. They will not work. You, you can go around different cities and, and look around and see lazy people. I've talked to them. I mean, I've talked to, I talked to one person. I said, you, you look pretty able-bodied. Why don't you get a job? Why would I do that? I make more money just standing around the corner than I'd ever wear a job. And it's tax-free. Now, they're not all that way. I'm not disparaging all homeless people. But please understand, there are people that take advantage of the system. And so we have to be very wise as we approach that. But the Bible clearly condemns such laziness. But you notice that in this text in Thessalonians, Paul doesn't give us why, why he's having to address this. He's just saying there's people that are not walking the right way. They're walking in idleness, not according to the way we taught you to live. And we're going to be talking about this in the coming weeks. And there's five things we're going to be talking about. The problem which existed among the Thessalonian believers, this idea of idleness, they weren't working, and the principle that affects the problem. And that's the one that says, hey, if you're not going to work, you're not going to eat. (laughs) That seems pretty harsh to some people. But that's a biblical principle. And also the practice of other believers toward those with this problem, the purpose of the practice and the peace that's needed. This is what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. And so I pray that you would really prayerfully read through this text, even ahead of our studies together, and ask the Lord to really show you his word and apply it to your own life. But I pray this morning you walk away with a different view of your work, of your job. That maybe you walk out of here saying, you know what? Yeah, I should be thankful. It does pay my rent. It does pay my gas. It does give me food. And I do have a ministry at work. Hopefully you're involved in reaching out to your coworkers who don't know Christ. And God has placed you there strategically for that purpose. Well, let's close in a word of prayer and we'll pray um, for our fellowship time across the way. Christ is the only Savior we have. Jesus said, there's no way to come to the Father except through me. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to this earth. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He gave up his life freely on Calvary for our sin. And when you, by faith, put your hope, your trust in Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that he will save you. He will forgive your sin. He will make you a new person in Christ. The old will pass away and the new shall come. Lord, we thank you for the new birth. We thank you for the ability, your ability to cause us to be born again. And Father, we pray that you would do that in the hearts of people this morning. If there's any here who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray today might be the day they cry out to you, Lord, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me your mercy. Show me your grace. And for believers, I just pray, Lord, as we depart from here, that you would remind us that our work has a purpose. Yes, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's toilsome. That's just experiencing the curse. But but it also has a purpose in our lives. And Father, I pray that we would walk away with a different attitude toward our jobs and toward our work and toward our struggles and our toils here And Lord, we know that you're working all these things out for good. 
And Father, we pray that you'd bless our food across the way, bless our fellowship. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand. We'll close with one, one last hymn.